Good morning, church. And happy Father's Day to you dads. Dads, I'd like you to stand up right now. Dads, granddads, stepdads, would you stand up? We want to honor you. We want to pray for you too because we know you're very, very important. Give them a hand. If you are near one of these men, would you put a hand on them? And I'm, and I'm going to word a prayer for them, okay? Father, we just thank you for these guys, um, for their desire to serve you with their whole heart and mind and strength. Thank you for the strength they bring to their homes and to this church. And we just pray you'll give them wisdom strength, patience when they need it, give them the help that they'll need, and just pray, Lord, that you will fill them in every way. Thank you for their witness and for their testimony. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Thanks a lot. All right, let's go to the next slide. Great. I don't know if those colors look familiar to you. If you're a parent of grade school children, does that look familiar? I am told that that is how teachers rate the behavior of children for the day in Mount Pulaski. I'm not sure how it's all laid out, but I, from what I understand, you start at green. Is that right? Yeah, okay, you start at green, and then you can go up or down. Up is purple. That's the best you can be, and red is the worst. That's a future preacher, okay? So, uh, and I, but as I understand, you get that color every day, whatever color you earn that day, and you're, the parents get to see that color and see how you're doing. It's a way of rating behavior, which I think is a good idea. It's kind of like a mirror that we talked about last week from James 1 that reflects back to us how we're doing. The, the, these colors reflect back to the child how he or she's doing, what he or she needs to work on. And we all need feedback, okay, and areas that we need God to be working in our lives. But today we're going to talk about a different way of rating people. And it is based on looks and appearance and social standing rather than behavior. That system that the schools use is helpful. It's for discernment purposes. What we're going to talk about today is not helpful. It's destructive. And if you think about how people are rated today, there's just a, an array of ways. We're rated according to our profession, education level, income, the house we live in, our looks, our age, intelligence, weight, clothes, marital status. Everyone here has a rating. And several criteria. We have actually several ratings, and there's several different levels. Racism, of course, is another one with color of skin. The winner before he hit his 715th home run, Hank Aaron received as many as 3,000 letters a day. Most were negative, most were unsigned. And one simply had this little poem. With all the money and fame, you're the N-word just the same. Ivanka Trump, we know, was rated by Samantha Bee just a couple weeks ago, and I can't say that word either. When our missionaries come back to the United States, they are now amazed at how hateful and divided things have become and the rhetoric. Our politicians and media are worse than ever. John Gaynor was here last week and he said, what happened? We've become so destructive. So the rating system in the world is cruel. It is also very complex because there's so many different factors and will classify people as I'm showing my age on this one. Geeks and skanks and nerds and jocks, white trash, extremists, conservatives and liberals. It is complicated, it's ugly, and some of you have been victimized by it. What is so ironic, as a society we claim to be pluralistic and civilized and advanced and progressive, equal rights, everyone has dignity, and I want to say baloney. It has not worked. And I think part of it so my bias, my bias here, when you take out the words under God from our nation, you no longer have one nation. You lose God, you're going to lose the unity. 
Now, the early Christians live in a society that was certainly not, you know, anywhere near, uh, you know, under God, and their system was probably even more clear-cut and worse than it is today. But you might be surprised that God has a rating system, too. God's system is very simple. There's two groups in his system. You're either in Christ or out, and that is it, and he loves both. Galatians 3.28, he says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. No, no racial prejudice, no social prejudice, no sexual prejudice in Jesus. Back in chapter 1, James talks about the rich taking pride in their low position and the poor taking pride in their high position. In other words, we're all the same in Christ. He is the leveling factor. So, two distinctly different systems. The world system that is complicated and almost abusive at times. It's ugly, it's hurtful, it's divisive. And then it's Christ's system, which is quite simple. In or out. And everyone is loved, whether you are in or out. And the problem happens when the world's rating system gets into the church. And we rate people according to the world's standards instead of God's. And if we're to make a difference in our world today... If we're to be mature in Christ and ambassadors of His, we must have Jesus' rating system. Now, I was thinking about that this past week, and I'm going to suggest that all of us are prejudiced to some extent. At least we have this tendency. All of us tend to play favorites in a way that is probably not pleasing to our Father. It might be Arabs, it might be people that smell, it might be lazy people, dads that don't provide for their family, bald people. Men are better drivers than women. Brunettes are smarter than blondes. Lawyers. Men that wear white socks with their suits. People who can't speak English on the phone when you're trying to get customer service. It might be people who were not born in Mount Pulaski. We tend to rate people and treat them differently. In the book, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, it has this statement. It says, the most insidious racism is among those who don't think they harbor any. We all tend to be prejudiced. Now, we're in James 2, and we want this word to be a mirror to our lives to expose where there might be some prejudices within us so that the Holy Spirit can work in us and work through us. The theme of this passage is right in the first verse. This is the thesis statement. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Believers who have adopted Jesus' value system must not be partial. Don't play the rating game. Now, that word favoritism comes from two words actually meaning to accept a face. So it's a partiality based mostly on appearances. And we know that good-looking people are favored. Studies show that judges confer less guilt and punishment on attractive people. One study of 17,000 middle-aged men found the taller they are, the greater their salary. And now I know why you hired a short preacher. That was a joke. Casey and Rob may want to raise, but Garrett... You're out. Anyway, <laughs> college students were shown pictures of people and asked to guess which ones were the most intelligent, competent, successful, and happy. And, of course, they chose the good-looking ones. The kind of car you drive makes a difference in how people look at you. The way you dress, clothes, money, looks, all part of the value system in the world. And you look at verse 1. I don't think it's an accident that in that verse, James calls Jesus, not just Jesus, he says, our glorious 
Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Lord, as a reminder that he had all power, all wealth, everything. He gave up glory to become one of us in order to save us. He left glory to identify with the lowly. So the first point and the most important one comes right out of that first verse. When we rate people, we set ourselves against Jesus. When we don't accept others because they are of a different political persuasion, or they don't agree with us, or they don't run in our circles, or they're not on our level, we set ourselves against the glorious Lord Jesus who came down to be with us. And then James gives an illustration. Suppose a man or woman comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. Now, James apparently didn't know about the rule. Now, I was raised with this rule that you wear your best on Sunday. You get dressed up to go to church. When I was growing up, suit and tie for men was standard, dresses only for women. Nothing wrong with that. Just don't judge people based on what they wear. Verse 3 then. If these two people come in and you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, if you read this whole text, James uses strong language, evil thoughts, setting yourselves against the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Literally here, the word for rich man is a gold-fingered man. He has lots of rings. In that day, rings were a sign of status. People even rented rings so they could walk into a room and impress people. This man has money and power. The other is in dirty, filthy old clothes. The word actually literally is dirt. He's dirty, probably smells, and you don't want to get too close to him. One in rings, one in rags. So the usher takes the one in rings to the best seat, which back then was actually sit in the front. In church, it's usually where? The back row. Those are the best seats. The, anyway, those are the, I'm not sure why those are prime seats, but they are. But the usher's thinking, this church needs money. This man could really help with our building program, and we accept the face based on appearances and clothes. When I was in high school, there's a guy a year ahead of me in our youth group, and he was a Christian, uh, pretty faithful, and he, was a, he would be considered a leader. But he'd gotten kind of a big head. He'd gotten into this clique of the more snobby type of kids. And one morning, there was a group of us students waiting at the grade school for the bus to come to take us to the high school seven miles away. The very fact you have to wait for the bus anyway puts you a little bit on lower level too. Anyway, I was sitting with this non-Christian friend of mine waiting for the bus, and just loud enough for everyone to hear, this Christian leader in the youth group says to his friend, Let's go outside. Everyone in here stinks. My non-Christian friend heard it. He said, hey, he looks at me. Isn't he one of you? You know, doesn't he go to your church? And our glorious Lord Jesus Christ is mocked. It is sin. It is evil. Verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now, we have to understand their culture is a little different back then. The rich aren't necessarily taking us to court and all that. But the thing here is all through the Bible, God has a special concern for the poor and the disenfranchised. Back in James 1, it talks about widows and orphans. And all through the Old Testament, all of Jesus' ministry, there's this obvious care for the poor and those who are on the fringes. 
And then the early church then was made up mostly of the underclass. The word poor by the end of the first century evolved to mean those who put their trust in God. Poor actually became synonymous with righteous. Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Theirs is the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says this about the church. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are to nullify the things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Now, this doesn't mean God chooses and loves someone just because they're poor. If that were the case, our goal would be make everybody destitute. But God is on the side of the poor, not so much because they're poor, but because they often are more responsive to him and more dependent. The vast majority of people that are powerful and rich are not the people of God. It's usually the non-rich who tend to be rich in faith, even in the church. Usually it's not the richest who are the strongest in faith. Back at Robinson, I was there many years ago, we went through a stewardship campaign. First stewardship campaign I ever went to. Boy, I got my eyes open. And I remember thinking, man, we got some rich people in here. They're just going to give and give and give. And I started thinking the top 10 richest people in the church, only one I wouldn't consider even close to being rich in faith. It's just hard to be rich in faith if you have a lot of money. Just the way it is. It's a fact. So when we rate people, we set ourselves against those who are special to God, like the poor, the widows, and the orphans. And one of the great challenges in the American church today is we're rich. And it's hard for rich churches to be rich in faith. Ask Laodicea in Revelation 3. They said, hey, we're rich. We don't need a thing. And Jesus said, no, you're deceived. You're poor, wretched, and miserable, and you make me sick. And I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus himself said, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Rich churches, we can build nice buildings. We can be excited about being in a church like that. We can have good music and decent programming, good programming. But usually rich churches are not rich in faith and not very mature. That's just a fact. And so here at Mount Pulaski, we have an uphill climb when it comes to being rich in faith. I remember reading in Christianity Today an article called The Juvenilization of the American Church, basically the immaturity, how, how the American church really doesn't want to grow up. We, we want to be entertained. We want fun, just like our kids. And there's sometimes I'll tell Ellen, well, we got junior high drama. Someone who's in their 50s is acting like a 12-year-old. And you hear things, oh, I don't like it, I'll take my ball and go home. Just this me-first attitude is so immature. But it's rampant in many churches. And we're, I'm guessing we're the richest church in the world, the American church is, but we're also one of the weakest when it comes to spirituality, evangelism, faith, and in holiness. By the way, heaven will be predominantly non-white. It'll be primarily Asian, Hispanic, and black, and not Caucasian. Because the gospel is thriving in the poorer nations and struggling in the richer nations. So when we show favoritism against the marginalized, when we have prejudice against you know, non-whites, for instance, we're setting ourselves against Jesus and against those who are special to God. I think even some of the apathy towards missions by many in the church, is, it's about prejudice. Well, we support missions at home. Missions begins at home. Very immature. Very weak. Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. 
But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. When we rape people, we set ourselves against the word of God, against the royal law of scripture. And it is sin. There's that word. It's evil. I was at a church that was getting involved in an unwed mother ministry. And someone made the comment, said, I will never have anything to do with pregnant unwed mothers. And I thought to myself, well, then you'd have nothing to do with the Virgin Mary. Well, that's different. Not really. Mary experienced prejudice as well. And when we show partiality, we are at odds with the very God we claim to worship. Now, I don't want anyone to leave today with the idea that we're all like, the, we're supposed to be like the cultural attitude of super tolerance and no one is wrong, everyone's okay, whatever lifestyle you choose is your choice and that's okay. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. And super tolerance, frankly, has not worked. Pluralism has not removed prejudice and hatred. It seems to have gotten worse. Now, I'm going to conf- I, I didn't know which one to do. I was going to confess one of my prejudices, and I have several when I stop and think about it, but I'm going to tell you about one of them. And that is about people, now, I don't know about women, but I think it's for men, I, I know men, who do not wash their hands after using the restroom. That is one of my prejudices. And in the restroom, a guy leaves without washing his hands. I want to scream at him. Do you know how many germs are on the human hand? 30,000 per hand, something like that. And then you don't even wash them. Do you know how filthy, scummy, and crummy this is? That's just my prejudice. Do you know that 80% of all diseases pass by human contact and is mostly by hands? And I don't know if you know this, but 50, about statistically speaking, 50%, one half of people do not wash their hands after a restroom break. So if you washed your hands this morning, the person next to you probably did not. So you may want to slide over a little bit. Don't touch me. Just my prejudice. Just one of them. How about denominational differences? I grew up in the Christian church, had the mentality that we're the only ones saved because we got it right. If the Apostle Paul went to church, he'd go to our church. I thought it doesn't matter if you're Catholic or Baptist. In fact, I was taught this. One is bad as the other. Lutheran or Methodist, they're all wrong. And then I started meeting people from these other churches. Well, man, they seem to love Jesus. With all their heart. And then I ran into a slogan from our heritage that says, we are not the only Christians. What? I thought we were the only Christians. No, nope. slogan says, we are not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. Wonderful saying. It's one of my favorites. We're not the only Christians. We're just Christians. And our spiritual forefathers never intended to start a dogmatic, isolated denomination, and yet many of our churches became the very opposite of the restoration of heritage and the opposite of Scripture. Years ago, my... Our family visited a church in Omaha, and it's a church of a different faith group than ours, but it was a Bible-believing church, and my father-in-law was with us that morning, and I was so excited because I I think it was the first time he'd been in church probably in 20 years, and it was a mega church, and so I figured we were going to, they were going to do things right, and it'd be a good experience for my father-in-law, and we were a little bit early. First service had not let out, and so we were waiting in the foyer, and I started talking to a lady at the Welcome Center. And when she found out that I was a Christian church minister, she started asking some questions about our church and what we believed and how we were different from theirs and what we believed. And I told her a couple of differences. And then she asked me specifically about eternal security. And I said, well, that's another difference, but I didn't think it was a really big test of fellowship or anything. And something just, just clicked in her, and she started arguing over eternal security. Now, this is the lady at the Welcome Center. 
And she listed all the reasons that Christian has to believe in eternal security. How can you not believe in eternal security? And she wouldn't let it go and wanted to argue and gave the impression, if you don't believe in eternal security, you're not, Christ, not a Christian. And I said, I really don't want to get into this. And I tried to be slow to anger, but I wanted to put an elbow in her nose accidentally. My father-in-law hears all this, has no idea what eternal security is about. All he knows, we were attacked in the foyer of a church. His first impression after 20 years. Why? My father-in-law is now over 80 years old and is going to church, thank goodness. But at the time, he had a good chance of dying outside of Jesus. We won't win by arguing. I pray for other churches in this town, in our area. Because it's tough to be a church of this culture. There's so many distractions with people today. So many people think they can make up their own private Christianity. The enemy is strong in America right now, and he's attacking churches. And we better remember who the enemy is, and it ain't the Lutherans. Every one of us has some false doctrine. I think this is what will help in our humility. Every one of us realize, I'm, I'm probably wrong on some things, and it may, at least the possibility, I, I'm pretty sure that I am wrong on some things. I'm just not sure what I'm wrong on. I'll find out someday. I have two brothers that are Republicans, and I have two brothers that are Democrats. And they are both, they are all four pretty strong in what they believe politically. All five of us are believers. All of us have been in ministry at some time or another, and we strongly disagree politically, but we also realize those differences are not what, not what identify us. Jesus is president of our lives. He's above that. And if you can't get above political differences, read James. Favoritism, prejudice, isolation, it's not part of his kingdom, but it seeps in and it's so subtle, we become comfortable with it. It's easier to think like the world, easier to stay with our own kind and stay in isolation. Then in verse 12, James says, you speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy, okay, if you're judging without mercy, it will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. If you're not merciful, you're going to be shown judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So when we rate people, we lose the true center of the Christian life. The true center of Christianity is not judgment. And if we do not show mercy to others, we'll not receive mercy from God. Does that bother anyone? If you are prejudiced, you have a hard time. You've you got a problem with your relationship with God. In the lookout a few years ago, someone wrote about befriending a street person. It was a lady author, and she befriended a lady on the street. And she offered to take this lady to a shelter, but this lady just preferred to stay on the streets. So the author that wrote this article gave this street lady bags of oranges and other gifts and food. But the author was still frustrated, and one day she asked this lady, what is the most helpful thing I can do for you? And the street lady said, sit here and talk to me. Nobody talks to me. People look right through me. In other words, treat me like a human being made in the image of God. That's what she's saying. Don't just give me money. Don't just give me food. Give me the dignity of speaking to me and listen to me and give of yourself. And isn't that what Jesus did? He gave people time. He sat and talked to them. He ate with them. He asked them questions and he listened to them. And Jesus wants us to be a church where there's neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, good smelling or bad smelling, pretty or ugly, white or black, rich or poor. Everyone is created in God's image and we, can reach, we want to reach out to those who are not like us because that's what Jesus did when he came down. Pray for those who are in other countries. Pray for those in other churches. Uh, uh, 
Pray for those who are Democrats or Republicans because mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, I've had a video sitting in my files for months that I've wanted to show you, and I was waiting for the right sermon. This is the right sermon to show you. I think you will enjoy this.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for amazing grace. For everyone here, everyone here that has been rated, classified by this world, for rich or poor, well-dressed or not, male, female, let us be a reflection of that mercy. Lord, put a big banner over our church and over every one of our heads that says grace. Help us be faithful to the truth, but in a way that is faithful to your heart. And thank you for lowering yourself to become one of us. And thank you for your amazing grace.